still very relevant. It's not getting any better. And uh, we need to keep it in the forefront of people's minds because this is more than just about Ukraine. It's about um, having freedom and a freedom of speech. Hi everyone, I'm Hannah. I'm Caitlin. And this is FC, the Ukrainian Dance and Culture Podcast. This is a heavy time for Ukraine. Russia launched an unprovoked, full-scale war in Ukraine on February 24th, 2022. Our upcoming episodes for the foreseeable future will be focusing on what's happening in Ukraine. Especially lately, we are thinking about the people in Ukraine, Ukrainians around the world, those we've met, those we haven't had the chance to meet yet, the places in Ukraine we've been to, the places we dream of going, the culture and the traditions, we are thinking about and reflecting on it all. It's heartbreaking to see this destruction. I think like a lot of people, we have so many emotions and feelings right now, including feeling helpless. But we wanted to highlight some ways you can support Ukraine no matter where you are. We have a couple interviews in this episode about places you can donate to and who that support will help. Before we get into that, we'll share some ways you can help even if you aren't able to donate money right now. Uh, One of the first ways is stay informed and share information with others, but make sure it's from a trusted source and confirm it in multiple places before sharing. Among many, one of our go-tos is Cave Independent and their reporters. We also have a list of some accounts to follow on one of our recent posts on Instagram and Facebook. You can also attend rallies. Follow your local Ukrainian organization on social media to find out when they are. I know for us in Winnipeg, I follow the Ukrainian Canadian Congress, uh, the Manitoba chapter who posts about upcoming rallies. Send emails to politicians and organization higher-ups. Places like the Ukrainian Canadian Congress and leaders in your Ukrainian community put out templates to pressure the government to fulfill Ukraine's needs and minimize obstacles for Ukrainians seeking refuge. And again, following your local Ukrainian organization is useful because they might ask for volunteers to help uh, organize donations or need volunteers for any other events. Take care of yourself as best as you can. Reach out for support, a friend, mental health professional when you need, and let Ukrainians know you support them. So we're going to get into the interviews. We'll hear from our guests, Vince and Zoya. First up is Vince Reese, the founder and owner of Cobblestone Freeway Tours, which is the company that organized our year dancing in Ukraine. Because of the war, the company has shifted its focus to helping people who are affected. Vince, thanks for joining us. What is the Cobblestone team up to right now? Hi, guys. Well, thanks for having me on the program. And uh, I know we both have many, like, great memories of being together in Ukraine and visiting the different regions of Ukraine. And this is absolutely devastating what's going on right now. And yes, Cobblestone Freeway Tours is a is a Canadian-Ukrainian-based company. Uh, and one of our missions was to simply share Ukraine with the world. Uh, through tourism and of course tourism is not happening now or for the for for the foreseeable future so we've shifted our focus 
And um, we are now doing all we can to support our team and our friends and their families in Ukraine. And many of them are in, are in turn uh, supporting other efforts in Ukraine, including refugees, uh, mothers uh, that need to get out, um, uh, the military, orphanages, schools, just basically the, anything they can do to help. Uh, they're helping with journalists. Um, one of the very tragic things that happened the other day was our team, Bogdan and Yulia, were with the Fox News journalists that were killed. And that was a really difficult day. Um, our team is okay. They weren't with them at the time. and uh, But it just goes to show that this is too close. It's, it's, it's very real. And, and we're just trying to support how we can. So we had started the Cobblestone Freeway Foundation three years ago to support cultural projects in Ukraine. And we were supporting a school in the Carpathian Mountains, and we were supporting some uh, folk groups and whatnot. And now, of course, we're just trying to support. We've shifted the focus of the foundation to be completely focused on supporting refugees and pe people in need. And what we're doing is collecting money, and we're sending it directly cash to the people that need it. Like, there's lots of wonderful organizations out there, the Red Cross, the Ukraine Canada Foundation, and they're all doing an amazing job. But uh, we're small. And we're just trying to help the people that we know uh, in a meaningful way uh, by uh, taking the money that we receive from all the wonderful donors that, you know, care about our staff, that have met our staff, that have met our people throughout Ukraine and want to make sure that they're taken care of. So we've had specific requests. Make sure Taras gets this money or make sure Bogdan or Yulia gets this money. Or So, uh, you know, we've been collecting money and emailing it directly to them. Uh, and they've been using the money to, to help other people. So they've actually said like a, a huge, you know, they're not worried about themselves because they know we've got their backs and they're, they're in turn able to help other people. So uh, it's really been like an overwhelming response from our community, our global Ukrainian and cobblestone community, not only Ukrainian, but people that have just traveled with us. So, yeah, that's what we're doing in the short term. And you can find us by searching the Cobblestone Freeway Foundation on Facebook or on the internet and the website, cobblestonefreewayfoundation.ca, I believe. Mm -hmm. So the the, te the team in Ukraine right now, um, when they're collecting whatever, when they're using the money that's coming from the foundation and um, kind of buying stuff for people that are finding refuge in Lviv um, or wherever around there, um, do you know what the the resources are like in Ukraine right now? Like, can can people still buy things in Ukraine, or is it mostly coming from abroad and then coming into Ukraine? Yeah, that's a really good question, and um, uh, I don't know. I know a lot of stuff is coming in through Poland, and Lviv has become a hub of of activity. Um, it's really hard to find a place to stay in Lviv. I mean, people are sleeping on our office floor. People are living on people's couches. Uh, you know, there's 10 people living in our office. Yeah. You've wow. been to our office. Yeah. You know, we're lucky that we have that space, which has a kitchen and a bathroom and, and a couple rooms. We've got couches. We went and bought cots. So there's 10 people living in there. Uh, where are they getting food from? I mean, uh, I don't know. Ukrainians are really resourceful. And I think it's probably, uh, um, you know, compared to Mariupol, in Kharkiv, I think Lviv uh, is accessing food probably very, very readily. So mm -hmm. um, 
Uh, that's not the that's not their biggest problem right now. I just talked to them this morning, and and uh, they're all working hard, and and they they're almost saying, "Don't we don't need money? You know, uh, we need bulletproof vests. We need we need medical kits. We need turn kits. We need." Um, Things that I don't know how to supply, and there are other organizations that are are doing that. So, um, like I said, we're a small group trying to help people in a meaningful way, the, mm-hmm. the best we can. Mm-hmm. I know you've helped so many people already, and there's new people every day. Can you share a story or two about maybe a group of people you've you've helped support? Absolutely, yeah. I mean, uh, one of the difficult stories was early on, which was a. School school of like for the for orphans from a town called Bila Terkva, which is south of Kiev um, and uh, they evacuated and the entire school came to Lviv and uh, Dima who's one of our team members his mother is the principal of a school for the blind in Lviv and downtown it's right in the center and they've opened up that school to this group of orphans and and we've been making sure that they're fed and there's diapers and there's formula for the babies and there's warm clothes for them because it was cold there a couple of weeks ago. It's it's still it was still winter. And uh, so we're continuing to make sure those orphans are taken care of. And uh, uh, even yesterday they made a delivery and the, and the kids really asked like they, they were bringing supplies like cleaning supplies, toiletries and all that stuff. And the kids said, can you bring us some cookies, too? <laughs> and 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 so. So our team went and bought them all cookies, you know, something so simple as cookies really just put a big smile on their faces. And it's heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking. It's bad enough that they're orphans, you know, yeah. that they have to live through a war. Mm-hmm. Uh, but their staff are really caring and our team is there to be able to help. And uh, a lot of people ask us about how to bring an orphan to Canada. And unfortunately, that's not really something that we know how to do. Uh, adopting an orphan is a as a major international process uh which takes a lot a lot of time and if we if we do hear of anything we'll post about it but unfortunately that's not something we know how to do right now another story uh um uh, there's a pregnant mother from oh gosh i don't know where she's from kherson or kharkiv or there's so many people from so many places that need help but uh, anyway she's uh, she's staying with us in ukraine there and um, she's alone, she's pregnant, she's due any day now. I think she's due today. And uh, so getting her everything that she's gonna need, um, you know, to, to prepare for, for giving birth in a strange city surrounded by strangers without her husband who's, uh, I guess, stayed behind or something. I, I don't know all the details, but I try not to bother our Ukraine team with too many questions. Uh, but those are two stories that I that really stuck out for me. I mean, um, we've also one of the girls from Rozhenitsia, um has four kids. Hannah has four kids, and they came to Lviv. They lived in our office for a while. Now we've got them across the border. We've got them to Poland, and we've sent them some money to make sure that. Like, can you imagine trying to feed four kids without a job? You know, so I mean, these are small stories of of what we can do and what we're trying to do. And we want people to know exactly where their money is going. So the Cobblestone Freeway Foundation is a not-for-profit society set up in Alberta. It's separate from Cobblestone Freeway Tours. It's um, uh, um, it's because it's a not-for-profit society, it's not a registered charity yet. 
that's a that's a separate status that we'd have to apply for in order to be able to get tax receipts for people. So if people really need a tax receipt, then I highly recommend going through the cobblestone, the Canada Ukraine Foundation or the the Red Cross, or there's a multitude of other organizations that can provide tax receipts. But, uh, you know, like I said, mm-hmm. we're just helping who we can. Mm-hmm. You know, you hear these short stories. Um whatever, we can share them in a few sentences, really. But what the people are going through is far beyond a few sentences. And there are millions going through their own stuff with uh, oh, in this situation. Yeah. And it's, yeah, it's it's devastating to think about. I, it's overwhelming. Yeah. I mean, our people are meeting uh, people at the train station in Lviv. And they said, um, or even, it was actually Snežana in Poland. She could see people... And she said that, she said, but the look on their faces, you can tell if they're from Kiev or they're from Kharkiv. Because people from Kiev are, you know, troubled mm-hmm. and distraught. But if you can, if you could see the faces of the people that come from Kharkiv, they're just, they're broken. Oy. Yeah. And it's just, it's beyond our comprehension. Yeah. But uh, people call me every day you know, and say, how are you doing, Vince? And I'm kind of, you know, as much as I appreciate the concern, I'm fine. I mean, I live in a country that that I don't have to worry about being bombed or shot at or wondering where food is going to come from. I mean, there are people in Canada that have struggles, absolutely, but relative to what's going on in Ukraine right now, it's not comparable. Right. So. Um, something we've been trying to encourage in our personal lives and through C um, is encouraging people to find um, good resources, reliable resources to find um, for information about the war and trying mm-hmm. to direct people specifically to um, straight from Ukraine resources. Because right. um, obviously the news coming from Ukraine and the news coming from Uh, mainstream media especially tv is a lot different and so um, we just wanted to ask you if there's anything you wanted to share about um, perhaps what's being shared on mainstream media and um, I guess the difference uh, of what people should be paying attention to as opposed to what's maybe being shown on tv well, I don't have a TV, so I don't know what's being shown on on, on TV. But um, I don't have a problem with mainstream media. I think, I mean, these journalists are um, uh, doing what they can to tell the story that they think is appropriate at the time. But I guess the one problem with mainstream media is is sometimes context. Uh, so it's not the story itself that's the problem. Perhaps it's the context that the story is told within. Um, um, I'm not talking about like Fox News or RT or propaganda television shows. I'm talking about like CBC, BBC, uh, Washington Post, like, you know, legit media organizations. I mean, uh, I don't, I, I, I pay attention to a variety of media, but I guess the thing that really upsets me the most is the number of trolls on the internet. Uh, this this fictitious story about uh, Ukraine being Nazis that Russia's trying to push. I mean, nobody believes Russia anymore. You can't believe a thing that they say. You can't believe a thing that Putin says. Everything he says, he's lying about. And uh, uh, 
uh, you know, I know I have friends that uh, support Donald Trump, perhaps, and um, I I want to say to those people that um, there's something wrong out there with what's going on in the relationship between Donald Trump and Russia, and the Republicans in the United States are being, and not everybody, of course, there are there are heroes in Russia and there are heroes in the Republican Party and and on the in the states and but uh, there's a lot of hogwash being pushed upon people and there's a lot of people gullible enough to to swallow it and drink that Kool-Aid and and believe that horse manure and it's just it's it's really upsetting to suggest that Ukraine would be bombing itself to suggest that Ukraine has been overrun by Nazis when they have a Jewish president I mean, I've lived and traveled all throughout Ukraine, and yeah, it has its problems. And yeah, we have our problems. To talk about Nazis in Ukraine, I mean, there's Nazi far-right-wing groups in the States, I think, a lot more than in Ukraine. So give me a break. You know? I mean, just because there are a few uh, uh, right-wing hooligans doesn't mean that represents the whole country. And I know Russia has, like, latched on to that story and tried to build it up and blow it up and make it make it as if it's an excuse the nobody nobody understands what what is russia doing what are they thinking like is putin delusional is he being fed misinformation does he really believe his own stories and i my my only guess is that he's he's come to believe his own um myth that ukrainians and russians are the same and 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 you know it's not. We all know it's not. Uh, uh, Ukraine did not come from Russia. In fact, it's much the other way around. Russia came from Ukraine, and many many years later, Rus is Kiev. Kiev is the mother city. It is the Jerusalem of of the of 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 the Rus people, which does not include Moscow, which does not include Moscovia, which eventually uh, uh, absorbed much of uh, uh, Rus, but they never, they never really ever absorbed Kiev, except for maybe during the Soviet period. But Kiev has never been part of Russia. And uh, we need to tell our story better. And I think Ukraine needs to tell its story better, you know. You know and even to the Ukrainian dance groups out there, because I know your audience has a lot of Ukrainian dance groups. Um, I would say... We got to move beyond the stereotypes of Ukrainian culture. Uh, the drunk Cossack, the Baba wa- waving her, pin, her rolling pin. Uh, um, the, the fact that Ukrainians are just farmers and silly bohunks. You know, I grew up with all that too and I, I enjoyed it for what it was at the time. But I think I've realized that we need to like, we need to... You know, we've reinforced negative stereotypes about Ukraine uh, through through dance. And you, the Ukrainian dance diaspora around the world is huge. And we have a voice and a platform. And we should be using it to educate our audiences about Ukraine's history and culture. And not just like, I mean, everyone loves a good bukopolka, you know. Hey, <laughs> who doesn't love a good bukopolka? And I don't think we should stop doing that. But I, I think we should also use our voices and our platforms to to tell the world about 
the truth about the history of Ukraine. Mm-hmm. Not just that Ukrainians are happy people. Like, that's not good enough. Uh, you know, we need to make movies, write books, tell stories, uh, raise awareness of the, of the history of Ukraine and how integral Ukrainian history has been to the history of Europe. You know, too long has Ukraine's history been overshadowed by uh, uh, Russian propaganda. You know, it's been controlled by the Austro-Hungarian Empire. It was controlled by Poland. It's been, you know, the Ottoman Empire in history has controlled parts of Ukraine. Like, we need to tell the perspective of Ukraine's story. And, and so many things happened. Ukrainians and did so many things. And so many things happened on the territory of Ukraine that the world doesn't know about because it was called Austria at the time. Or it was called Soviet Union at the time. Or it was called, you know, uh, Poland at the time. But those were Ukrainian people and it happened on Ukrainian land. And we need to own that history and tell that history. Actually, you want to talk about something that people could pay attention to? other than mainstream media, is a, a very good historian named Timothy Snyder, um, who's uh, uh, an excellent, excellent historian on current uh, topics in Ukraine. And he's been speaking a lot. You can Google him on the internet. Timothy Snyder, um, I think he has written several books, but he's doing lots of lectures and they're all on YouTube and you can watch them. And if you really want to hear uh, how important Ukraine is to history, then he's a guy to, to listen to. Oh, thank you. We'll we'll make sure we link him in our show notes so people can uh, search him out and uh, yeah, research more about Ukraine and the history. And yeah, just before actually we started recording, Caitlin and I were talking about how um, in this moment for Ukrainian dancers, it's a, an important time to reflect on why you're you're Ukrainian dancing and like what it means to you because. Um, yeah, it's a it's a moment in history where we need to do our part to fight for Ukraine as well. And it can be through culture and the arts like Ukrainian dance. Yeah, absolutely. I think it was a struggle at first. Like, how can we go to dance practice and like pretend to be happy? And um, and I think that was a moment that we had to spend and reflect on. But I think we need to remember why we're dancing in the first place. We're dancing because... Uh, why are all these dance groups around the world even exist? Why? Because people escaped and left Ukraine. And they, and they started these dance groups and they started these organizations and they started churches to, to, because all these Ukrainians had left Ukraine. Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people left Ukraine because they were looking for a better life. They were esca- escaping persecution. They were, you know, struggling. Vasil Avramenko, the founder of Ukrainian Dance in Canada, uh, was dancing to raise awareness of Ukrainian culture. And I think now more than ever, we're doing exactly the same thing, dancing to raise awareness of Ukrainian culture. It's, it's more than just a happy hobby, you know, you know, that's a byproduct, you know, but the main reason the Ukrainian dance groups around the world exist is to raise awareness of Ukrainian culture. And I think now more than ever, we got to get back to that mission. And uh, yeah, so I encourage people to dance harder than ever, spin faster, jump higher, Train harder. Go to dance with a purpose. Do not let Ukrainian culture get washed away. We will uh, include in the show notes links to the foundation, links to the company, Ukrainian Dance World as well, because that's um, related a lot to what you're talking about of keeping the culture alive. But is there anything else that you would like to add or share with, with us today? 
Well, I guess uh, on a happy note, I would also uh, mention that uh, I've been very involved with the Ukrainian Shumka dancers uh, for the past 30 years, and uh, they are going on tour again uh, this fall. It was a tour that was put off, uh, obviously, for COVID for a couple of years, and they're finally getting around to doing a cross-Canada tour, and they needed an old man to play a little role in the show. So I, I'm, I'm lucky that I get the chance to go on stage again and, and, um, and play the role of an old man. And uh, we'll be in Winnipeg. We're going across Canada. So check out the Ukrainian Shumka Dancers Cross Canada Tour. And uh, um, for Ukrainian dancers, uh, there will be workshops associated with the tour uh, that people can participate in. So I hope to see you all come out. And they will be collecting monies at the show to raise funds for the Canada Ukraine Foundation. And, uh, and that's a great, great cause. And, uh, yeah. Thanks so much, Vince. Uh, take care of yourself. We hope, uh, your team is taking care of themselves too, the Ukraine team and of course the team in Canada. Um, and yes, if anyone has the means, please support, uh, Cobblestone Freeway Foundation or any other, um, charity that is supporting Ukraine. Joining us now, we have Zoya Kostetsky from Prairie Clay. She is a local maker here in Manitoba who creates jewelry from polymer clay. Um, as of next year, she'll also be a teacher, and she is a proud Ukrainian who launched a fundraiser uh, only hours after the full-scale war started. Um, so Zoya put a call out to local makers in Manitoba to donate some of their goods or things that they make, and she collected them and made incredible prizes and then anyone who wanted to support and wanted to be entered into the draw for the prizes um, donated some money and they could win whatever was donated. We noticed many of the funds that came in were donated to grassroots organizations, which is a little bit different than some of the other fundraisers happening. So tell us about some of these organizations and how you kind of have a connection to them or found out about them. Yeah, thank you so much for having me and uh, for doing podcasts like this. It's super important to uh, keep up the Ukrainian community here in Canada. Um, so the grassroots organizations we've been in contact with um, kind of happened uh, on a whim, I guess you could say. Uh, my mom and I are both part of a bunch of Ukrainian Facebook groups. And so uh, when I started collecting money, I started thinking, okay, where can this money make the biggest difference? And, um, you know, we put a call out on social media to our Ukrainian friends and said, hey, does anyone know anyone in Ukraine who is doing something who could use this fund to, I don't know, for gas to transport people, for um, people collecting uh, bulletproof vests, uh, helping refugees, these kinds of things. And of course, there was a wonderful outpour from uh, our local Ukrainians who were in contact with people back in Ukraine. And uh, they put us in touch with people in Ukraine on the ground who are doing the work. And we've been in touch with them. Thankfully, we both speak Ukrainian, my mom and I. So we, it was easier for us to be in contact with them. And uh, in the past, we've sent money to our family in Ukraine. So we were able to kind of maneuver that uh, roadblock a little bit easier. And uh, yeah, and so we've been supporting... Um, a couple of groups out there. You've shared on social media some photos and videos from people who you have helped. And it's just so powerful to see how the the money raised is directly helping people. Can you share a couple of these stories of the 
immediate impacts that that this has had. Yeah, absolutely. And you know what? They've blown my mind probably as much as people on social media who have seen these posts. Um, there is a wonderful lady in, in Nizhyn, Ukraine. It's a small, a smaller city. And she is working at a, um, a center for children with disabilities. And they're not able to uh, escape because many of the children are in wheelchairs. So they're, uh, her and the other volunteer there are staying behind to take care of the children. And so they've kind of been taking shifts um, with the, the flow of refugees and flow of um, soldiers coming in through the city and helping them in, a, in any way they can. And so we've sent them money. They've sent us amazing messages. They've sent us videos of their volunteers cooking and cleaning and, um, and videos of the kids. And it's just been really heartwarming to see that. And then the other one that really kind of made it sink in that this money is making a difference is uh, there's a wonderful lady, Svetlana. She's, um, I believe she's a programmer. Uh, by day, I guess, and now she's a volunteer full-time, and uh, she's she's in Lviv, and her friend Alexei, he's, he got enlisted into the military, and uh, he's from Kiev, um, but they they were going through Lviv, and so they met up, and he was saying, hey, like, our group of soldiers really need bulletproof vests, because so many people are being enlisted that aren't uh, of military background, and so... Uh, we collected money for that and off he went and um about a week later she sent me a message and she said hey do you remember Alexi and my heart kind of sank I wasn't sure where this message was going so I said yes I remember him she said this is the message message I got from him today and it said thank you for the bulletproof vest today it saved my life and uh, she ended up calling him she sent me another message after and she let me know he was being um, attacked from the back so he got shot in the back a few times and that bulletproof saved his vest or <laughs> the bulletproof vest saved his life and uh, it really it really sunk in that this was making a difference and it wasn't just you know you let go of the money and it goes into the wind so uh, yeah, we've got a couple a couple messages like that where it's been really heartwarming to see that it's making a difference. Oh, I got chills and full of emotions hearing that. Uh, yeah, those social media posts that you're sharing, like the direct messages from everyone from Ukraine, I think it's very impactful. And um, not that we really need should need reassurance, but... Oh, yeah, we're human, right? I mean, you, you send your money off and then you kind of, you either forget about it or you're wondering where it went. And then when you see, when you see the actual impact that it's making, it's, it's definitely, it's nice to see. Yeah, totally. Um, so we're not really sure how you did this because, uh, I mean, the first how many days after we found out about the war and are following all the news and everything, we were in shock. Like, we couldn't really do anything. And here you are planning a fundraiser literally hours later. So um, tell us about that. And I guess what was the response from local businesses like? Yeah, I um, I guess it's my coping mechanism to, uh, to I guess, distract myself and go up in arms to, to do stuff. But yeah, I was getting ready for bed on uh, the night before. And my usual go on Instagram for and a stupid amount of time and I saw I saw people's stories I follow people in Ukraine I have friends out there I have family out there and I saw people's stories and at first it was kind of like it, it just wasn't even possible like it didn't make sense and my heart just kind of sank and so I messaged my cousin right away and I said hey like are you okay and she she said we're okay um 
you know, like things are starting and uh, we heard the sirens and this and that. And so that's just, it was just heartbreaking. And so the whole night I essentially didn't sleep and I was thinking, well, what can I do? Because I just feel kind of helpless because I have family out there. I have friends out there. It feels kind of, I felt bad not being able to do anything. And so I thought about it over overnight and in the morning I woke up and I thought, why don't I put a call out to small businesses and see if they'd want to donate some some gifts and um, if I can raise some money and uh, that money can go to Ukraine and then people as a thank you can, you know, receive some of these local gifts. Um, and I didn't really think much of it. I thought, you know, it'll be something and I'll raise a little bit of money and, you know, maybe a few businesses will donate. And by midnight that night, I was just completely overwhelmed with the response. It was absolutely incredible to see. And it was amazing to see um, not just the Ukrainian community come together, but our whole Manitoba community come together and people of all different backgrounds and cultures and um you know, people that you've never even heard of or have never heard of you just message you and even outpours of just kind messages and uh, people offering to help in any way they can, which, which was absolutely incredible. Uh, and yeah, we had probably over 2,000, not 2,000, 200 businesses reach out and uh, or makers and artists. And, and yeah, it was absolutely incredible and uh, very overwhelming, but but good. <laughs> And where is the fundraising at now? Is it still ongoing? It's still ongoing. It, it slowed down a little bit, I think, um, as expected. Usually after the first week, things usually kind of people start to think about other things. But um, I'm trying my best to keep posting about it to show that it's still very much ongoing. And um, But yeah, people are still donating. Um, we just hit uh, over $60,000. <laughs> yeah, I know. it's It's been incredible. And, uh, yeah, you'd be blown away by some people's generosity. Some people, like I said, you've never heard of. I had a random company in Ontario send $1,500 that don't know, you know, people see it on the news and this and that. And, uh, and it's definitely reached a lot of people. Oh my gosh. Mm -hmm. That's so amazing to hear. Um, and also, just want to acknowledge you and your family because you are not a business. You're not, you don't have a massive team behind you, just a very dedicated one. So just want to send a shout out to your parents. And I think your partner has been helping you too. The book smart with the math and bookkeeping and all that. So he's been setting up the Excel sheet and doing all that work. And then my mom's been really wonderful in contacting the groups and my dad's been the manpower. We've we've done lots of physical um, donation collecting and stuff too. So it's it's a team effort. Oh, for sure. Um, I guess the I know you have been following, like you mentioned already, that you're following lots of um, news coming directly from Ukraine, and that's something that uh, I know you're passionate about, and we're passionate about making sure people hear. Um, yeah. I guess, true stories and making sure that the news sources are reliable and such. Um, is there anything that you wanted to share, I guess, about the war or what's happening in Ukraine that Western media isn't covering or highlight maybe some of the needs that are arising in Ukraine 
um, maybe through some of the organizations that you're talking to that may not be as obvious um, as what's what's in the news. Yeah, of course. Uh, I guess first for things that aren't really being talked about, I'll start with a positive note. I think um, something that's not being covered enough is how incredible Ukraine is fighting back. Um, personally, in the past, I've never really thought about military. I've never really supported, you know, war, troops, that kind of thing. It's, I, I don't know, I just was always more on the peaceful side of things. But uh, I, it's made me realize that um, our Ukrainian military does need support. Because if you compare 40 million people to 140 million people, um, the size of the country, uh money like everything ukraine's done such an incredible job at uh defending its uh land and culture and um people and just the brave stories you hear every day i just saw one on instagram a 98 year old grandma who called the arms and said i want to be enlisted and of course they denied her because of her age um but this is the second war she's living through and unfortunately it's history repeating itself and uh but yeah so i want i want to highlight that ukraine is doing such an incredible job and that we need to keep supporting them to get through this because i don't think the world really recognized ukraine as such a strong and independent country before the war and uh, it's definitely put ukraine in the spotlight to show its resiliency and especially president zelensky which i think a lot of people including myself weren't sure about when he first came into office as a ex comedian right he's just been absolutely incredible and he's really spoken to um who ukrainian people are and he's just done an incredibly wonderful job um of leading the country in this war uh i guess the next thing i want to mention is um how scary it is to see russia fall back into the soviet mindset. Uh, both of my parents grew up in the Soviet Union. At the time, it was Soviet Union. And um, years ago, we've I've heard my parents tell stories about the Soviet Union. And it's so scary to see this come back. And especially that mentality of um, imperialism and kind of wiping out any chance of freedom and um, having a voice because a lot of these people are so repressed and so suppressed in this country that they're going to be stuck there and it's it's very scary to see that um, in the 21st century. Yeah and then I guess the needs that Ukraine needs I mean <laughs> there there are plenty. Uh, the thing is even when the war ends Ukraine will need to rebuild and uh, the amount of damage that's been done to um, thousands thousands of year old architecture, art, buildings, streets, um, it's going to need to be repaired. And uh, Ukrainians are very passionate about their art and culture. So um, that's definitely going to be uh, an important thing. So of course, monetary donations and then monetary donations for arms and military, like I said, because that's how we're going to defend our country. Um, unfortunately, that's what it comes down to. And um, humanitarian support. The thing is, a lot of um, postal services aren't shipping to Ukraine right now. They're shipping to Poland. Uh, and a lot of them are very backed up. Meest, for example, is quite backed up, uh, which is unfortunate, but that's reality. 
So yeah, just um, support however you can. Definitely post on social media. I I am so um, my like I'm so blown away when Canadians who have no connection to Ukraine are posting about it because it's still very relevant. It's not getting any better, and uh, we need to keep it in the forefront of people's minds because this is more than just about Ukraine. It's about um, having freedom and a freedom of speech because Russia's Russian people are going to suffer just, well, I don't want to say just as much, but they're going to suffer in a very deep way for um, years and years and years to come and generations to come. So yeah, keep it in your forefront, post about it, donate if you can, uh, volunteer if you can. We're going to have an influx of refugees, probably not as many as we think, but we'll, we'll still have people coming here. They're going to need support. Um, learn the language if you can. It's, it's little things. Um, learn about the culture and, uh, and hug your Ukrainian friends really close because, because they need it. Yeah. We'll share in the show notes um, how people can follow along with you, uh, like your social media accounts, and um, also to follow along with the people that you are helping and to hear more of these stories. But is there anything else that you'd like to share with us? I guess I guess that's everything. I guess I just want to say thank you for keeping up a Ukrainian podcast, which we very much need more of. And uh, there's a, a good one that I just started listening to not too long ago. Uh, it's called Hush Hush. There are two uh, Ukrainian girls who are not in Ukraine, but uh, they talk about kind of how they chose to do their podcast in Ukrainian, even though that's not their... I guess, mother tongue all the time and how it was a political act. And I was listening to this before the war, so it's kind of ironic now. But um, yeah, I think it's important for people and uh, artists and creatives like you to keep up uh, Ukrainian culture and, um, and talk about these issues. So thank you both for doing that. That's really important. Thank you so much. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, thank you so much for joining us again. Take care of yourself the best you can and your family and keep doing the good work. Thank you so much to Vince and Zoya for joining us. We are so grateful to you and your teams for all the work that you are doing to support Ukraine today and to support Ukraine always. And to our listeners, we... Um, We'll share a little message that lots of Ukrainians we have talked to share to us. Even though we're the ones keeping them in our thoughts and showing them our support, they always say to us, Tremaesia. Yes, to hold on uh, means to keep, to keep fighting. Hold on, don't give up. And yeah, just like Caitlin said, even though we're the ones that need to be supporting them, this is the way Ukrainians are, always thinking about others. And so... Yeah, to you, Tremaisia, hold on, support each other, support Ukraine, and take care of yourself so we can continue doing the good work. Slava Ukraini! Mm-hmm.